Amen. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you're happy and smiling. Uh, we are launching our vision series today. Uh, it's going to take us for the next 12 weeks right up to uh, Easter Sunday. So we're super excited about that. Not only about the series, but getting to Easter. Um, we're, we're really excited about that. Uh, heat wave today of 21, I hear. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, so I want to give a shout out just for a moment to the, the gentlemen that have been coming the last few weeks, uh, way before all y'all get here, um, and shoveling uh, the, the sidewalks, um, making sure everything is salted. Um, and, and Darren, specifically, Darren Puzzle, who's not here today, um, but he comes and plows the entire lot um, every time it needs it. So just, just a shout out to these guys that have made a way for us to get in. All right, I would like you to turn to John chapter 17. Today, we are launching a uh, very clear, very uh, precise vision for conduit for our homes and for this city. We've, we've been leaning into this vision. I think we've been actually even carrying out this vision since Conduit's inception, but we've not done a great job of articulating it or communicating it. And so today is the beginning of our attempt to do just that. So today is a good day to take notes. Uh, you're going to see up on the screen uh, specifically uh, what we're going to cover today as Conduit's vision. Um, but I want to make sure that you have an opportunity uh, to write some of this stuff down. It would be really helpful uh, for you. John chapter 17 um, is, to give a little bit of context, uh, John is um, the disciple that Jesus loved, right? And he's giving a, an account from his perspective through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, his account of Jesus' prayer to God the Father. Now imagine this, like zoom in on this moment, that the Son of God having an actual, in, you know, in uh, human language, so to speak, uh, conversation with God the Father. I would have loved to hear that, but the best thing about it is we don't necessarily need to hear it because we can now read it, and the Holy Spirit can now uh, um, convict us of it, and, and, and to to, to take our soul into this moment through how we read it and how we hear it as the Holy Spirit speaks. I want to start out in verse 1. It says, When Jesus had spoke, spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. And then he goes on to be, or he begins to, to go on and pray this prayer that is actually quite lengthy. Do you guys know uh, those long prayers? Anybody know any long prayers? Like, like okay, we're going to be here for a good 20 minutes, right? This is not one of those, like, short prayers. Like, you're really hungry. Everyone's gathered around the table. Like, you ask one of your children to pray because you know it'll be short because you're really hungry. And then you rush through it and you're like, ah, I'm so hungry, right? This is not one of those prayers. This was intimacy between the Son and the Father in conversation 
a vision for what he had for the disciples that he was getting ready to leave. That he was getting ready to, to hand over the, the, the steering wheel of mission, the steering wheel of ministry and how this world would be flipped upside down. I want to I kind of fast forward through that prayer and I want you to get to verse 10. Excuse me, verse 9. I am praying for them. Who's them? He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for these, these, these leaders, these believers, in context, not just them, but us, the church. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He's telling his father that they are yours, and all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. So basically, I'm leaving, they're staying, they have their hands at 10 and 2 on where this whole plan goes. The, this, this B team, junior varsity, like teenage boys, didn't make the cut, now I've been walking with these guys for three years, and now they're at a spot where they're going to take this and they're going to spread the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit to the world. And here's what Jesus, like, this is the one thing that Jesus asks in his prayer. Are you ready? Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, and that they may be one, even as we are one. So before we get into this vision, before we get into clarifying what this church, what, what Conduit Ministries is going to do for not just 2018, but years and years and years to come, and maybe even decades, and maybe even when uh, Lucian Mistretta is the lead pastor here, and, um, and, and Noah is, is the, the, the worship director, and like years and years from now, before we dive into the, the vision of that, we need to understand that over all of this, Jesus' intimate desire and thing that he asked for to God the Father was that the church would be one, would be unified, would be together. Not necessarily in agreeance, not necessarily on small issues, but what does he follow up the one, that they would be one, that they would be one in doctrine? No, he didn't say that. That they would be one in that, that like, family is the most important. No. But what did he, what did, what did he go on to say was he wanted, or describe that he wanted us to be one in. That we may be one even as we are one. The Father and the Son, in their oneness, He desires the same oneness for us. So that's, 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 we have to get that, we have to understand that before we dive into uh, where we're headed and where um, we need to do practically in all of this. Okay, are you with me? Okay, here we go. Here is the vision for Conduit Ministries. Hopefully you can see it up here on the screen. 
Conduit's vision is to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities. Boom. Yes. Yes, you seem as excited about it as we are. Like you have no idea how much time it took for us to articulate these words, right? <laughs> it does not stop there. We want to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities. But you need to know that Conduit's vision is fiercely committed to a few things. And here's those things that we're fiercely committed to. First of all, we're committed to healing in our families. Any families here today in this place need healing? See, see, that's another thing. We need to understand. It's so easy to be like, yep, our church needs to be one. We need to be all in, one with the Father, just how God the Father is one with the Son. That it's easy for us to jump into church. It's easy for us to get in our car, come sit in a pew, and then like discuss in a group what we need to do in a church. But we have to first step back. We have to first step back, men and women, as families, and understand that our vision, God's vision, God's hope, is that it first starts in our heart. He wants healing and restoration in our families. No matter, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean, hey, don't show up next week to church until you got it figured out, until you're healed, until you're restored as a family. Not at all. We think that this place actually will be an aid to that. That's part of our vision. That's part of our vision. Pastor Cameron uh, is kind of a wordsmith, um, and I I know uh, I kind of tease him on this, but he really has a, a great way of articulating certain words. And this is what he simply said about about vision. He says, vision is a preferred picture of the future. There again, not super, like, mind-blowing. But yeah, think about that for a moment. Our vision is a simple, preferred picture of the future. So if we do our part, and the Holy Spirit's part in us is our part, by the way. But when we do our part, and as the Holy Spirit works in our families, this is the picture we'll see. This is what we'll see. The healing and restoration in our families. Secondly, we are fiercely committed to a unified awakening in the body of Christ. Let me walk through these and then I'll come back actually. Uh, next, we want to see a socioeconomic revival in our cities. We want to see a release from bondage of addiction and mental illness. And that the peace of Christ would reign over hostility and violence. Healing and restoration in families. I want to back up there for a second. Like I, I, I want to make this super, super clear. Our our vision, our, our picture of the preferred future is that when Jesus and the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes into this place, it will affect everything. But the first thing it might actually affect 
is your own heart, your own home, your own marriage, your own children, your own family. It doesn't mean that if you don't have all that worked out, you can't, you have, you're not welcome here. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is that it will affect your own heart and home. It will bring restoration in your life. Now, again, it's easy if you're in a situation specifically in your family that seems, uh, the situation seems broken and it needs restoration. There's certain things that you can do. There's certain things that you can do. And some of you may be struggling at this moment because you feel like there's so many things that you can't do and that are out of your control. And you need to know that healing and restoration in families is not perfection. It's a step toward Christ. And and that may mean, that may mean just for you, you're hearing it because you're the one committing to the preferred picture of the future that God has for your life. May he bring that healing. It's through him. It's through him, not this church. And guess what? It's not actually through you either. All our preferred picture, all our vision is encouraging you to do is to open the door and let the Holy Spirit allow him to bring that healing and restoration into families. I want to get uh, in the coming weeks a little bit deeper into what this looks like specifically for families, but I want you to understand that. No matter where you're at, you're welcome here. Because, uh, so we were talking this week, I was talking with Pastor Cameron in the office, and I was asking about, um, as a whole, whoops, that's really gross, sorry. Um, I was asking about, what's, how would you describe the vision as a whole? Like, what are, what are some of the, the ways that you would, you would articulate it? And he would, he just, how, how he described it was that it affects everything. It touches everything. When God begins to work, it touches every area of our life. To see wholeness and redemption. We're going to talk a lot about redemption in a moment, but the wholeness, like it's, it's a full picture of health, of what God is doing. I, I think of it like this. Um, I know we can dream about this right now because it's certainly not a reality uh, outside, but come like April, come May, those first few like days and maybe perhaps week or two when the, the weather warms up and the sun comes out, the environment has completely changed as far as climate. Now it affects everything. Everything. Grass grows, weeds grow, flowers grow. Like everything, yeah, right? Like everything changes. Even uh, uh, if we're out there long enough, sometimes our skin tone can even change being in that environment. That environment changes everything. It changes everything. It has the opportunity even on hot days to to cook certain things because of the environment that's outside. It touches everything. That's the same mindset of God's vision for this church and your life in this city is that when he touches it, he touches everything. Our vision, guys, is not just for these four walls that like, all right, we just got to get people here. We got to get people, uh, the few gaps that we have in the pews. We got to make sure when they get here, everything is going to be okay. No. Like, 
Our vision is just as much for this city, for your home, as it is this building. Because guess what? You're there. You're there. You're in this city. You're at your workplace. You're in your home. And if you're there, Christ is there. That's the preferred picture that we have when it comes to restoration and healing in families. A unified awakening in the body of Christ. A unified awakening in the body of Christ. You know that in this area there are many churches. Um, and obviously uh, there's a lot we could say in regards to this subject. And, and I think what's been really neat um, about this area is there is constant attempts for churches to do things together and be unified. I mean, honestly, as a whole, there's not a whole lot of uh, drama or, or, or like ill will or, 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 or there's a sense of team together. But I don't think it's necessarily enough. So our preferred picture, our vision for the city of Jamestown and this region is that it's got, it's got to be bigger than conduit, honestly. And we have to be humble enough to step back and say, you know what, it may have nothing directly do with the name conduit or I am loved, but it may and hopefully has everything to do with the body of Christ, the church in this region, Amen. And I don't fully know what that looks like, but if that was Jesus' prayer that we be one, he's not just talking about this room. He's talking about every church on every corner. And I would actually argue that we don't have enough churches. One of the greatest tools for evangelism is church planning, period, across the world, let alone across the city. But even in, it's not a matter of the volume of churches or the, the amount of churches. What's, what's more important in this stage, perhaps, for the city of Jamestown is a unified awakening of the body of Christ. And I don't think there's disunity. But I think a unified awakening has this, this, like, this picture of us stepping back and that it's not about us. And that we see, and I'm even looking out, and I'm seeing different people that are involved in this community and are helping different people in this community. And you're involved with tons of other ministries and churches. Praise God. That's a picture of the vision. That's a picture of the future that God desires. It's a unified awakening in the body of Christ. Biggest thing we can do right now for that is pray. We need to pray for these churches. We need to pray for the church that way and that way and that way. You see a pastor, encourage them. Give a good word of encouragement to them to lift them up. And not just the, the, the pastors, but these people that you know that may go to other churches. Push them on, spur them on to the unified awakening that God wants to do in this region. Amen? Oh, I love it. Third thing is a socioeconomic revival in our cities. This is huge. This is huge. Just like I talked about, when God moves, he doesn't just, like, touch some things. There's an overall health that I believe is coming to the city of Jamestown. And it directly affects the socioeconomic revival or status of the city. Like, it absolutely does. Does that mean that the city just gets rich and we're going to start building skyscrapers and and, and it's just going to be this, this like epicenter of amazing things? Not necessarily. But I do believe that the socioeconomic culture is directly affected by this. 
The, the, all of a sudden, there goes from this, this mentality of like, like the sky is falling and everything is so bad to this sense of hope. And the circumstance may not even change. But the sense of hope and belief and faith in Christ and what he wants to do in this city is affected through the socioeconomic status of those that have need, have great need, are met with those that have an opportunity to meet that need. And it's not even just about needs being met. It's about the church being the church. It doesn't mean that every single need, uh, as Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. But what are we doing? What are we doing to affect that? That has nothing to do with necessarily raising a bank account. But it has everything to do with the love of Christ inside of us. Showing that through a snow cone, a hot dog, a gift card, a lasagna. Amen? That's right. A release from the bondage of addiction and mental illness. I don't need to, to remind you or describe to you um, the epidemic of these two things. And it affects even many of us in this room. This is not a snap of a finger. This is not a, uh, all right, well, hopefully by November, God's got this figured out, and there'll be no mental illness, there'll be no um, addiction, none of that. You know and I know um, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't don't fight. This isn't a who's stronger moment, because we know who's stronger. We know who's stronger. But this is an area that I don't think that a lot of, to my knowledge, a lot of, at least that I've seen in my own uh, church experience in 14 years, where I've seen a lot of, of um, effort to affect addiction and mental illness. There are great ministries in this city that go after that. I think it's time the conduit does the same. Amen? And not that, again, not that it has our name on it, but maybe there's ways that we can touch and support and give into and serve in these areas that can help people that struggle with this. Because if you look around, it touches even us. It touches even us. That the peace of Christ would reign over hostility and violence. Um... Even this, that our, our, like, <laughs> our weapon of, of warfare is the peace of Christ. Ooh, Mufasa, right? Like, there's this, like, wait a minute, over violence and hostility, peace. But that's exactly it. You see, the peace of Christ passes all understanding, Philippians 4 says. And it'll keep your hearts and your minds. There's, there's relationship. There's situation, circumstance that affects not just our city, but every city. But when Christ is reigning, his peace is reigning in that moment, in that situation, in that relationship, that the peace of Christ would reign over hostility and violence.
So the tagline, or excuse me, the top line. Conduit's vision is to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities. What does redemption mean? That's what word I want to kind of focus on uh, in the next little bit. Redemption is the action of regaining a possession in exchange of pay. The action of regaining possession in exchange of pay. Or, better said, a clearing of debt. When you redeem something, you clear it of debt. When you redeem something, you get it back. It's this mindset of, like your redemption is you're bringing it back. What God wants to do in this place, in our homes, churches, and cities, is to redeem it. Um, I am consumed with the love of God and that what he has for you this morning. Listen, th- this, is the best, this is the best way I can describe it. Um, God's love for you is like a father to a son, a father to a daughter. Um, recently, uh, my family and I went to, uh, we got spoiled. My parents took um, me and my brother and, and our families and, and all of our kids to, uh, to Disney World in November. And it was so fun. It was a blast. It, a blast. it was overwhelming. Like, uh, how many people have been to Disney? It's, it's, it, it, I don't know if I'm a Disney person. Uh, apparently my kids are. I think probably every kid is. It's a little bit overwhelming. And, and like, I'm... I, I get it, and I'm all in. It, every part of it was just amazing. But there's those moments of, like, at the end of each day, uh, where you're, like, there's, there's, like, tired, exhausted, and then there's somewhere, like, down here, like, past hangry, past everything. Like, you're just exhausted, right? Um, <laughs> you've been filled with, like, sugar and unhealthy food that you've paid way too much money for. Uh, you, you stood in line for four hours to go on a 20-second ride, but yet it was the time of your life. Like, it's so good, right? Uh, one of those days, we went to uh, SeaWorld, um, which I think was one of the highlights while we were down there. My daughter, who's five, her name is Eden. Now, if you know Eden, Eden's great because she, um, she's got lots of instructions for you. Like, she's, for me, she's always like, it's every, everything is like, Dad, I need you to do this. Dad, I need you to get me this. Dad, I need this. I, like, there's this constant, like, list of to-dos, right? Um, and for her, like, I don't mind. Like, yes, honey, what do you need? Like, she's my girl. I love her, right? So at the end of the day, for her, she doesn't un- even understand the gauge of tired. Like, she just, like, she, it's, it's like uh, uh, when the batteries run low and it's, like, it's just slow-mo. Like, it's for her. So she's got, she's, like, she's a mess at the end of the day. She's a mess. She's still got demands, but she's a mess, right? And I'll never forget this moment. Like, <laughs> it was like a sign of victory almost, even though I was exhausted. She had, I don't even know what it was. It was chocolate, something like, some candy or chocolate. Like, it was covering this section here. It looked like she had a beard, right? Um, <laughs> And she was beyond exhausted. She's, like, so tired, just, just beyond repair. She's, like, a little bit, a little bit bratty. Don't tell her I said that. But, like, a little bit, like, whoa, girl. It's just, 
Like, you know, like we're going to see world or Disney World. There should be no unhappy kids here ever, right? But she's at that point. We're leaving the park. I'm exhausted. She wants me to carry her. Are you, are you kidding me? So I literally, I put her up on my shoulders, and I'm carrying her along. And she, she's like, so I could just feel her swaying back and forth. She's so tired. But there's this, there's this moment as a father where I'm like, yeah, like it did. Like, you know what I'm talking about when your kids are so exhausted and you gave them so much candy and so much fun and they're like, they're like just done. And you're like, yes, I got it. Like this moment of like, I love you. Like I got it, right? This moment as I brought her up, so filled with love. But here's the thing. Like I was, I was displaying her. Like, like I think that's the general like consists in life and in, in, in reality anyways. Follow me for a second. The things we carry in our life, the things we carry, we, we display that. Whatever you carry, you display. Does that make sense? You're carrying despair, you display despair. You're carrying joy, you, you display joy. You, you're carrying uh, <laughs> fatigue, you display fatigue, right? Like that's the, the general idea. If you're carrying something, you display it. For me, in that moment, there was something like, I was proud. I was proud. As I carried her, I was proud to display her mess. I was, I was proud to display all that she is because when she was on my shoulders, it didn't matter anymore. She was, was not tired anymore. She was on my shoulders. She was protected, and there was victory to be had, right? It's the same mindset. When God talks about us as a son, as a daughter, as children of God, in all of his love, he sees us. We're a mess. We're, we can't even, like, stand right. We're a little bit bratty. But his response is not, go sit down, sleep it off, wipe it off. His response is to throw him up on his shoulder, throw us up on his shoulders. And to march in victory that we are his son, that we are his daughter, and his love for us is so fulfilled. And what has been done, obviously, like the, the metaphor of the mess that we are in our sin and the, like how we have, we have stiff-armed what God wants to do at times. But the victory that comes from him simply throwing him, us up on our shoulders. We are, as John 17, we are one with the Father in that moment. In all of our mess, in all of our struggle, filled with the love of the Father, as that day I was filled with the love for my daughter, Eden. Like, you get this picture of redemption. All of a sudden, she is, like, redemption is like, girl, get it together. You're a mess. But when she was on my shoulders, she was completely redeemed to victory to the car four miles away we go this is amazing this is redeemed this is the idea of redemption guys it's not about 2018 or 19 or 26 about Jamestown being any shinier so to speak with buildings or programs it's that the peace of Christ would reign over hostility and violence. 
is that the socioeconomic revival would come to the city and affect the culture of homes and churches. And the city would just be an outflow of the home and the church. Do you hear me? My, my like, encouragement to you, men and women, like, in your home, boys and girls that are here today as well, like, you're included in this. What happens in your home? It starts in your heart. What Christ wants to do in your heart and the oneness through faith in Him brings you to this point. That that would flow into your family. And that that family, that your family would just flow into this church. And that this church would then flow into this city. Because guess what? You're in the city every day. Some of you, your city is home. And I get the confusion of what I'm, the metaphor of what I'm trying to say. But your city, your, your, your mission field is where you're at every day. That's the city we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And we want to see God work in that from your home, your church that flows into your city. Okay, so I know that this is, seems a little bit... Um, Actually, turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, I, I want you to see this rather than me read it. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Obviously, this is Paul in context. I don't necessarily love just taking a verse. I'm not taking it out of context. It's hard to like dive into this without describing what Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, but he's in these several verses, he's talking about what is basically allowed, and he's, above all, he's saying do everything to the glory of God. This is the point. This is the idea. Is that no matter what you, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, or whether you're, you're, you travel to Buffalo every day for work, whether you're young or old, whether you're retired, or whether you're in your early 20s, or whether you're 16. This is the point. In verse 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the point. Whatever you're doing, this isn't like a, a, a cryptid message that you have to do this and have to do this and have to do this. This encompasses everything. But here's where it comes to play. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Every relationship, every situation, what can you do today, in this moment, this afternoon? What call needs to be made? What apology needs to happen? What perspective needs to be uh, filled with humility? What realization and truth do you need to see what does God want to open up for your eyes to see in this moment? What does he have for you this year? What does he have for you next year? How does he want you to see 2017? All of these are fulfilled by this very principle. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do, to the, do it to the glory of God. And not for our glory. When you start putting his glory first, first and foremost, everything falls into place. Everything happens in its time, in its way, through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens. Guys, hear me out. This is not a complex thing. 
It's, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. What are you doing right now? What relationship are you in right now? What health situation are you in right now? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it to the glory of God. And that's what it looks like to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities. Um, Jamestown is an interesting place. Uh, Would you agree? Uh, In 2005, I, the end of 2005, I applied for a youth pastor job at a church called Lakewood Baptist Church, about 10 minutes away from here. And the first person I ever spoke to on the phone uh, about this job uh, was a, a, a kind lady by the name of Karen Soa. And um, I love that she's here today because I could tell this story. But it, it, I'm, I'm very, like, uh, idealistic. Like, uh, like, describe it to me. Like, put some music in the background. Like, make it just sound so great. Like, like you know, George Bailey off It's a Wonderful Life. Like, that's how my mind works. Like, I want, tell me about Jamestown. And she's describing for me, for Jay, to, she's describing for me Jamestown. And, like, I'm loving it. And I'm, like, I, I'm even asking, like, hard questions. Like, describe for me the city and, and, and all that. And I remember hearing, like, the, the tension even in her voice of, like, how amazing this place is. But also, like, it's not the greatest place in the world. <laughs> and then specifically, she's talking about the weather and this and that. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about this, Lord. I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I'm in. Um, Jamestown, I, I was reading a little bit about uh, how it even came to be. And in 1810 was when it was, uh, I guess, founded uh, officially. Uh, James Prendergast, that's how Jamestown came to be, Jamestown. Uh, James Prendergast lost uh, some horses, um, and he uh, went to find them in the Cayentone area. And on his way back, after he found these horses, he discovered uh, the downtown Jamestown area, which obviously wasn't downtown then. It was just there, right? It was just a big river, a valley, and nothing, right? Tim Hortons wasn't even there yet. (laughs) Believe it or not, right? It's amazing to, to, to like, read up and and hear about uh, Jamestown. It's funny, too, because it was not called Jamestown for about five years. It was actually known, it was actually known as the Rapids, isn't that crazy? Now you're like, where's the rapids? Like, what? I'm, I'm, I don't see it, right? Like, it's not like there's this major, um, other than, obviously, he's talking about the river. Um, and he set up shop, a uh, little log home, right there, right downtown. In fact, uh, from my understanding, very close to uh, the mission, uh, and very close to that parking garage there in front of the mission, um, was his, about the place of his first home, and then he set up a, a mill there, and then obviously things began to grow from there uh, at the rapids. But I always found it funny is that for James Prendergast, which obviously if you if you the last time you established um, or founded a city, um, you maybe have thought through what you were going to name it, but James, uh, James Prendergast named it the rapids. Why? Because that's what he saw. His vision for this new town Uh, that would eventually be a city was what he saw. And sometimes, like, I mean, even imagine, like, why we name things the way we do, right? Think about, uh, like, when um, uh, 
Adam and Eve were put in charge of naming the, the animals. Are you with me, guys? You might have to go on a little bit of rabbit trail just for a minute. Okay. When they're naming the, the, the animals, like God's like, all right, you need to name them. They come up, and it's like, all right, elephant, got it, pass. Uh, rhinoceros, got it, pass. Cat comes up, and they're like, God didn't make this. Uh, just kidding. Uh, or, or when when Eve saw when Eve saw uh, when Eve saw the serpent, the snake for the first time, she wasn't like, "Hey, danger noodle." That's what that is. Okay, I don't know where snake or serpent came from. Nonetheless, but his vision for the city was what he saw. Like it was simple for him that eventually it would be called Jamestown. My encouragement to you this morning for Jamestown is to look a little bit bigger than what you see right now. That's my invitation to you. See this area. And when I say Jamestown, you know I'm talking about this whole region. See your home and your family and this church and this city and what God wants to do from one end to the other. See it a little bit different than what you see in this moment right now. That is called faith. That is called faith. Um... I want you to turn one more place. Uh, Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. I found it interesting too. Um, I'll just say this really, really quick. Um, uh, there is, there's a pastor that wrote a book. His, his name is Erwin McManus. And uh, he wrote a book many years ago called The Barbarian Way. And uh, he, <laughs> he, uh, he said that the way the church should be described is, is like a pact, a group. But he was like trying to think of a name for a group of animals that the church could be called. A lot of people call the church the church, or the church is the body of Christ, or the church is um, uh, 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 a congregation. A lot of people maybe use that word. Um, and he was using it, back to animals, uh, he was using it in, in relation to what p- different packs or groups of animals are called, and just trying to describe the church the best. And this is the way Erwin uh, described it. Um, he says that, that groups that, that travel together, that move together, uh, a group of alligators is called a congregation. Um, a, a group of wolves is called a pact. Uh, um, uh, a rhino, or, excuse me, dolphins are called a pod. You guys are so smart. I love this. Uh, <laughs> I found this kind of funny, especially because uh, this term is used a lot in churches. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you know what a pack of vultures is called? A committee. <laughs> we're going to put a committee together and we're going to eat you. Yeah, like, right. Uh, a pack of camels is called a caravan. A pack of buffalo, buffalo bills, right? <laughs> oh, mafia, yeah. No, actually, <laughs> that's good. Called, <laughs> called a gang. Uh, so he's trying to describe what the church should be. 
And the power of what the church, when the church is together and we're like moving ahead, like we're, we're like taking the hill. Like he thought it, maybe it should be like a lion. A lion, like when, when they all travel together, they're, or when they are together, they're called the, the pride. But he said probably the best analogy for, um, for the church is uh, an, an animal that's quite unique, a, a, a rhinoceros. Now, a rhinoceros can weigh, I mean, obviously there's different types of them that can weigh 2,000, 3,000, up to 5,000 pounds. These, these are huge. And what's so unique about them is they're really big, but they're really, really fast. Like, they can travel up to 31 miles an hour. Especially when they're running together. Like, just imagine that, like, the dust flying, and there's just this, a bunch of rhinoceroses running at you. Not to mention they have, this, like, this huge, uh, like, horn in front of them, right? Um, <laughs> but here's the craziest thing about a rhinoceros. A rhinoceros. That, why is that word hard for me to say? Rhinoceros is they can run at 31 miles an hour and they're moving at, you know, thousands of pounds, but they can actually only see about 30 feet in front of them. Do you know what their pact is called? It's called a crash. It fits, right? Think about it. 5,000 pounds, 31 miles an hour, but you can only see, like, from here halfway back of the pews. That's a crash. However, he was saying that that is the way the church can be described. Past, like, like in all of our vision, like I'm standing up here and I'm trying to be like, yes, we're going to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, our churches, our cities. We're going to see like uh, a healing and restoration in our families, socioeconomic revival in our cities. We're going to see, like, like, redemption all over the place. Like, I can describe that, but to the best of my ability, guys, listen, as a crash of the church, that's like 30 feet in front of us. But here's what I, why I would say I agree with Pastor Erwin McManus in this. Those rhinoceroses, in order to move that big, to move 31 miles an hour, they've got to give it their all. That faith. They're running and they have no idea what's past 31 or 30 feet or 40 feet or 50 feet. But they're running with everything they got. They are called a crash because that happens. But may we, be, may we as a church may conduit, be caught in a moment where we are big, yes, and it may be called a crash and it may be messy at times. And it may not be very clearly, our best laid plans may not be that mind-blowing. But believe you me, that's God's desire, dream for this church to move forward. And that above all, above all, that the Holy Spirit that's inside of us, that's running ahead like a bunch of rhinos, clumsy, but we are so full of faith that like everything's got to get out of the way because we got a hill to take. That's the point of the church. And that's where we're at today. It may not be super like, yeah, sign me up. And you're going to like tattoo conduit's vision on your arm. Like you may forget it. 
we'll, I'll, we'll remind you for the next 12 weeks. But you may not be able to articulate it, although we want you to articulate it. We want you to be, know it so well. But so much more important than that, so much more important than that, is that you're running ahead with the faith of the Holy Spirit inside you, that He's doing the work, that, that darkness better watch out because light is coming. Death better watch out because life is coming. Did you see seven people get baptized last week? Did you not see that? Was that not amazing? Did you not see them like literally go from death to life? Like the outward picture of what God did in their heart and their soul because by faith they received Christ as their Savior and they bowed down before the cross and they took this thing that was supposed to like act or be a symbol of torture has now been our symbol of freedom and hope and redemption? Are you with me? Like, this is crazy. Like, that's what we're celebrating. And you know what? It's on, like, every pew. This, like, execution symbols. It's huge in the back and huge in the front of this church. Why? Because we believe in this symbolic nature of what it represents that Christ, when he died, even, even the fact that the cross is empty, that he was there. He was there, but, dude, he died, and he's off. And the tomb, that's not even like art, the symbol that we represent. Because that's empty too. An empty cross reminds us though that this hope and redemption is through that. That's the symbol of freedom. That's the symbol of hope for this city. That's the symbol of hope for this church. That's the symbol of hope for your home. That's the symbol of hope for your family, your heart, over the sin. Oh, sweet, one more. Um, that's the symbol of hope over everything. Crash. Are you with me? Numbers. That's why I asked you to go there. In closing. Numbers, chapter 13. Uh, Numbers, chapter 13. Um, the, the, the idea that God wants this vision to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities, it only happens through faith. And it only happens through us not just believing that, but running ahead with it. Living it out. It happens through celebrating life over death. It happens through, did, did you guys hear, was that not the best Sunday last week ever? Um, there were several individuals up here on a couch that Katie Castro interviewed and just kind of walked them through some things that going on in their life in the last year or in their life as a whole. And what God had done had so little to do um, with us or the church, even though my kids um, called me beasts, a beast all week um, because what Jordan had said, that we were beasts, um, in a good way. He was, if you weren't here, he wasn't being mean. He was being nice. But so it has nothing to do with us or you or this church or this building. It has to do with the, what the Holy Spirit has done. And when you hear these stories, and my, my observation is that that's just the beginning. We want to get more stories out there because it's so edifying and building up that their faith builds our faith. Um, I've been hearing about lots of different people having other people over for dinner. Keep that going. 
Get to know one another. Lean into one another. Let this, I said this a couple months ago, like in, in some difficult times that we were going through as a church, this is the time to lean in. And I just want to take a moment and just say thank you for that. Thank you for leaning in. Thank you for, for your consistency. Thank you for, for being here every Sunday and filling the pew. Thank you for giving financially to get us to the point where we are moving like a crash forward in 2018 as a church. Praise God, because our faith, your faith, has come to a reality, a real point of celebration. Amen? Faith is important in this. Faith is, the, is one of the biggest pieces of this. And if I'm human enough, if I, which I'm so human, oh my goodness, uh, I have to be humble enough to always, along the process, ask the Lord, well, God, what is, what is, what's my place in this? Not from a selfish or, or egotistical point of view, but God, what am I supposed to do? It's a pressure I personally carry that no one even understands. Pastor Cameron would understand. Our wives, they would understand for sure. But the weight of shepherding um, that is such a joy, but it's a lot, of, it's a lot of, it's a lot. Um, so it's funny, I, I didn't even tell my wife this, but can I share something with you uh, really personal? Okay, cool, I'll move on. Uh, uh, no, uh, it's not that personal, but it's something that uh, I've always, when I was, when I, you know how sometimes when you're younger, something happens, even if it's, it's kind of insignificant, it happens and it, it, it puts a seed of insecurity inside of you, and there's something that happened um, when I was, uh, I think it was about 10th grade. Uh, I was at a Christian school in southern Illinois, and uh, it was a church and a school, and uh, my pastor there, his name Pastor Bill, and I was a, a 10th grader, I was not, as you could say, I was not really, I didn't behave very well, um, and it was known, uh, and pointed out quite a bit, but I'll never forget, sitting at the lunch table, uh, all friends are sitting around, and Pastor Bill walks in, he's staying right in front of the soda machines, and something happened, and he uh, came into the conversation, and he said loudly, he said to me, um, and this thought never crossed my mind, and actually never crossed my mind really again until uh, I was uh, a sophomore in college. Um, but he said, Corey, you know you're going to be a pastor someday, you know that, right? Sounds great, right? But the table bursted out laughing. Right? Come on, we're a bunch of jerks, right? It's a Christian school. It, it like, and I mean, I didn't like go home crying or curl up in a ball, but it affected me. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I know sometimes I'm a jerk and I, and I like, I try to have too much fun and it gets me in trouble, but like, that was, he was serious and it was prophetic that he would say that and like, so now, like, it's the last thing in the world I want to be now is a pastor, right? So when God actually called me to be a, a pastor, I was 19 years old. I won't get into that story. But I actually didn't think about, I, I, th and that time when I told everybody, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to uh, get my degree in, in Bible, from Bible college, blah, 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 I'm going to be a pastor again. Kind of like a lot of chuckles, like, oh, really? For real, dude? For real? Like, wow. Uh, I didn't think about this until a 
couple days ago, I, I actually messaged um, my pastor. I didn't really, wasn't super close with him, but I messaged him, and he, he messaged me back, and I was just like, hey, do you remember saying that that time at lunch? Thinking there's no way he'd remember it. Um, and he, he actually wrote me back yesterday, and he's like, he's like, I do remember that, um, and I did believe that, um, which is, I mean, I've been doing this for 14 years. He, like, he's like, oh, yeah, I was right the whole time, you know. Uh, but he said something to me uh, twice, two times in my life, somebody has uh, prayed over me and said that, um, that I was going to be like Caleb in the Bible. And he wrote back, and he said, Corey, you, you are, you're Caleb. Keep doing a good thing. Keep doing a good thing. And for me, I was like, ah, man, it's so good. Oh, it's so encouraging that like past the laughs, years and years and years later, to hear him say that and remind me of that biblical truth. And so I had to kind of be refreshed about who Caleb was. And I want to end with this. So the Israelites, they, uh, God had rescued them from bondage. Um, and had, was trying to bring them to the promised land. And so they were trying to find a region where they would inherit the land that God had for them. Moses had sent out 12 guys, 12 guys, um, to spy out the land, uh, to find out the people that live there. Like, can we take these guys? What's it like? What's agriculture like? What's, what's it all about? 12 of them went out. Uh, all 12 came back. Ten of them were like, nope, no way. Those guys are too big. It's not worth it. Caleb was one of those 12 spies. Caleb said this. Caleb said this in verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, let us Okay, okay. Get, get in the moment. This is like serious stuff. People are chattering. You got 10 of the 12 spies. They're like, we can't do it. It's too hard. And Caleb stands up. And I, I would argue that like this was like uh, one of those moments. Like even people in the background are playing like violin and stuff like that. Maybe not. But he gets up and he says this. He says he quieted the people. And he said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. If I had any moment that I could stand, and in this quiet moment, and I could quiet the people, if I had no other role, no other role, but to tell you this, I can tell you, through Christ, we are well able to overcome it. To see wholeness and redemption in our homes, our churches, and our cities, it not only can happen, it will happen in the name of Jesus. Praise God for crazy dudes like Pastor Bill that had the guts to say that 
And for me to be lost in that moment and confused. And that maybe Caleb, he didn't necessarily overtake it. All he did was say, guys, we can do it. And for me in this moment, I may have no other role other than to say to you, to communicate with my mouth to you from God's word in his desire for us to be one. And that no matter whether we eat or drink, that we do all to the glory of God. And that in the end, not only can we do it, but we will do it. We will see wholeness. We will see redemption in our homes, churches, and cities. We will see healing and restoration in our families. We will see a unified awakening in the body of Christ. We will see a socioeconomic revival in this city and other cities. Trust me. We will see a release from bondage of addiction and mental illness. And that the peace of Christ would reign over hostility and violence. Amen? It's going to happen. My question is, are you with me? Are you with me? So in the best way possible, in the power of the Holy Spirit, putting aside the hurt and the pain and the circumstances, it's right here. Would you just zoom out for a moment? And would you like physically stand as a sign of oneness? Would you stand? And would you simply just close your eyes? And would you surrender to the Lord? Your heart, your life, your home, your church, your city. If this is what you want, tell God. If this is what Jesus wanted, he's communicated it. God, make us one. May we be a crash that moves so full of faith. Jesus, help us now as we celebrate what you're doing, what you've done, but way more passionate about what you're going to do in this place. Start with us, that our hearts would confess our sin and that we would be healed through your Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, that our homes, our churches, and our cities would be affected in wholeness and the redemption that is to come. God, as 